We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? My name is Cameron. And my name is Willie. And this is the Other Side of Hell podcast. Smash. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. How are you, my I'm, friend? I'm good. I have this overwhelming desire to try to do a North Dakotan accent, but I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. Right. I'm afraid I would slaughter it. Let's 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 have you no, try. Let's hear yours. I, I now I'm like lost. Like the camera's rolling, and so <laughs> I don't know how to do North Dakota. North you know? Dakota, Fargo. It's all over. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's it, a, when, it's, when you live in North Dakota, there's a lot of snow, you know? <laughs> it's like... It's like a half Canadian. You almost half, sound like a leprechaun, but a Canadian it's, leprechaun. It's like Irish and, can, and, yeah. and and a Canadian had a baby. Yeah. And that's my... So, it's hard. It's I worked in North Dakota, so... So you know. Uh, I've heard it. So. Now, why are we talking about North Dakota? <laughs> There's a reason we're talking about yes. North Dakota today. The reason we're talking about North Dakota today is because we have a war story from, from the founder of Prism, Mariah. Prism, Mariah. That's yeah. right. Mariah is from North Dakota, and uh, she joined us this week for a hell of a war yeah. story. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. And she took full responsibility for her life. And I, not only is she uh, a confident uh, mindset recovery coach, her transformation's incredible. Yeah. Like I, I always, Physical, I mind, always admire these transformations, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. She looks great. Yeah. Again, we are going to be talking about taking responsibility. Taking responsibility uh, for what? Which is important for our shit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, take responsibility for our shit, for you our know, lives. Sometimes it is not; uh, it's not our fault the things that we have to deal with, but it is our responsibility to do with them what we can. Yeah, I always feel responsible for making it a great show. Yeah, well, but good. So, sometimes I want to throw the responsibility on you. Sure, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> I'm just gonna kick back. I'm gonna kick back on this one and listen. Um, but then I realized, you know, if I did that, the show would be garbage. So <laughs> I won't do that. Thank you. Anyways, Thank you. <laughs> we'd still have a great story, even if it was just me. Every everything up to her story would. Be you know, if this story. if it was just you, we'd still have a pretty damn good yeah. show. I'll take responsibility. Um, but for that. Uh, but yeah, so let's let's talk about that, man. Like when we talk about taking responsibility, I feel like. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that we can we can go with that topic. But what we're talking about here today is mainly taking responsibility for your life. We all have things that uh, that happen to us or that we go through that uh, that that may not be our fault or they might be our fault, right? Um, and they might be as a result of of the people around us who have experienced trauma or the trauma that we've been through ourselves or generational um, trauma. Generational trauma. Um, but you know we. We uh, and we alone can decide what we get to do with our lives. Um, and so I think it's important to talk about because I do think that there's a lot of people out there, including myself, um, you know, who can get stuck in that victim mind frame. Yeah. 
And I know for me, you know, it uh, it was never my fault. It was always you would you would Some drink issue, this way right? too. Yeah. If 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 uh, if you would had the life that I had. Yeah. If you felt this way about yourself, right? You would you if would. She broke up with you way. the way she broke up with me. Or if you found yourself in this job the way I have found myself yeah. in this job, you would drink. Too. You had my family. Yeah. I mean, anything, you know, right. fill in the blank, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and that keeps us sick, man. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. That's, yeah. that's not any way for us to get better. So when we talk about taking responsibility, Willie, what, uh, what's something that you think of that comes to mind for you um, then and now? Uh, well, I think, uh, I, I, as we're talking, I'm thinking about, um, you know, navigating throughout my life, having life situations and not, you know, it, it took me a great deal of pain in order to finally start taking responsibility for my recovery, for my healing, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Um, and so uh, it seems like it's not uncommon for us to think fixing something out there is going to fix something in here. And so it's easy for me to take a relationship or a life situation or the way that I was raised and try to fix that. Mm -hmm. so that I can be feel okay. Right. And, and that's not, that's not me taking responsibility. That's me shifting the focus. Right. And trying to fix something I have no control over. I have no control over my past. Right. Like I can't change anything about my past, but I'll find myself thinking that, and, and it has, I mean, it's better now, but I remember back in the day, like it was always about fixing the past. It was always about fixing other people in other situations, you know, fixing the law. Like if the law was better suited for me, then the world would be utopia, you know? So yeah, the world bends around you. <clears throat> right. And right. so, uh, I had to be taught how to take responsibility. I had to be, people had to navigate through my thinking therapeutically for me to kind of see how I would be able to take responsibility for my healing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was easy for me a lot of times for whatever reason, I was a horrible criminal. Um, I wouldn't tell on other people, but it didn't take much for me to tell on myself. Right. I could, I could almost always take responsibility for the crimes that I got caught for. Mm. Right. Um, and so like if I ended up in, in, in jail or in court, yeah, I did it. I didn't, I didn't see the point in, in fighting past that. Right. But, um, it was really hard for me to take responsibility for the behaviors that created those crimes or, or the, you know, take responsibility for changing the behaviors that created those crimes or the, the situations that I found myself in. And so, uh, it was, I don't, you know, so, so learning from other people on what it means to take responsibility for my healing. Uh, I needed other people that were smarter and more educated in addiction and trauma and that kind of stuff in order for me to do it. But uh, really, it starts with a little bit of, of experimentation and practice, right? So uh, I'm not responsible for being a drug addict. Mm. That's something that, that came along throughout my life. Uh, I took a chemical in an attempt to control my life or be accepted or change the way that I felt. I never intended to become completely consumed by it. You know, that's something that happened to me. Um, 
and I'm not responsible for the way that my brain uh, reacts chemically to those chemicals, whether it be alcohol or hallucinogens or, you know, THC, opiates, you know, any of those things, because not everybody's like me. Yeah. You know, some other people can, can do those things and it doesn't affect them. And that's not their fault, right? It, it is what it is. Uh, but I am responsible for my recovery, right? And that was one of the first things that really clicked with me was, you know, it's not my fault about the way that I grew up. There's a lot of things that happened to me that aren't my fault. There's a lot of things that I went through that aren't necessarily my fault. There's a lot of things that I put myself through, violence and, and you know, distractions and just self-harm, all that stuff that really wasn't my fault. I didn't know how to do any better than that. But as I learned and I, as I went through enough pain, I have to take responsibility for changing that behavior. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to stay in it, you know. And, and I don't know how that happens to us, if it's spiritual or psychological or physical, the, the pain threshold that, that changes the willingness to take a different look at that stuff. But something changes. Yeah, well, oftentimes we have to shift our perspective, right? Because we're so lost in in victim mode yeah. that it we can't even we can't even begin to fathom the idea that it's not our fault. <laughs> yeah. Or that, or it, that is. it is our fault. That it is right. our fault. Yeah, right. exactly. So it it for me, I know for me, it really took an outside source and not yeah. and not just one, right? Yeah. Like it took a number of a different tribe. people to to sort of point out, dude, you're you're looking at this a little bit skittlywampus. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh and really in that moment, it really is sort of mind blowing. Yeah. You're just like, oh fuck. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. Like I'm not I'm not at all looking at this right. I, you know, like th- this isn't anybody else's fault. And and the only thing I can do, the only thing I can control is the responsibility I choose to take and the action I choose to take as a result of that responsibility. Yeah. And so it, it was sort of a, re, uh, a a way to reclaim power, right? Like yeah. here I am like taking the responsibility so that I can now again, like be in charge of, of me, yeah. of what I get to do in response to that. Um, and I think that, uh, that it, it has taken a lot uh, for me to, to get to that point. It's taken years, you know, for me to, to begin accepting more and more, of that responsibility yeah and to see more and more how often it is that i i am so quick to decide that it's somebody else's fault right right? even still like it yeah it'd be it'd be easy to blame it on my wife yeah kids Mm -hmm. or your podcast partner or whatever time yeah all that stuff but you know we learn how to take responsibility for our actions uh, uh, an action at a time right so when we get here, we've lived a life that's so backwards and, you know, so, so different than what we think. Like, you know, our lives are so messed up that, you know, knowing right from wrong is, is, is askew. Mm-hmm. It really is blurry mm-hmm. knowing what the right thing to do, what the wrong thing to do. And so um, for me, you know, I'm really grateful that I had people that spoke my language. 
when I got here. Sure. They, they were able to describe me in first person, right? So mm-hmm. they would be talking about themselves and the behaviors that they had. And they would be talking about like, you know, drinking and driving. Okay. Drinking and driving was a huge one for me because, uh, one, I didn't create the law that made it illegal to drink and drive. Two, I never had a serious accident drinking and driving. Three, I have to get to wherever I'm going. Right, yeah. Right? And and so all those things equaled up to me being justified in that behavior, okay? And um, today... I have to take responsibility for the fact that that was dangerous and it wasn't okay because now I know the possible uh, ramifications of how dangerous it really is to be drinking and driving. Right. And so other people would be sharing about that kind of stuff and I would hear them take responsibility for that same action. Right. Whether it be stealing or using or lying or cheating or whatever, whatever that, opposite of virtue is right that that shortcoming or character defect if you will they they would share about what they did why they thought they did it how they took responsibility for it Mm -hmm. and now what they do to correct that you know and it would leave me thinking about myself you know identifying with the problem the outcome and then hoping that the solution would work for me too. And it it always came down to being responsible for the work that it takes. It having to be me that does the work. Nobody can do it for me. And I can't buy it. Right. Yeah. It's not a pill I can take. No, (laughs) no, but it's, I mean, it's funny as you're, as you talk about it, because I'm sitting here thinking like, there's so many things that we talk about or that we deal with in our recovery that I truly think are, fear based mm-hmm. and you know as we're as as you were talking i'm like thinking like what is it that what is this that that keeps us from taking that responsibility like why is it that we are so hesitant to look at things and say you know what this is this is on me like i've got to you know like this is, i'm the only one that can do it and it's fear uh-huh. like yeah. we we have this fear of change and we recognize that if I take responsibility for this drinking and driving, it means that it's my fault that I'm drinking and driving and that I've got to change that. Yeah. I have to change that. And that's scary, right? Yeah. Because I'm so used to that behavior. I'm so used to my life being the way that it is, whether it's good or bad, mm-hmm. that I'm afraid of that change. Or I know in my case, it was oftentimes... I'm afraid that I'll start doing it and then fail. Right. So I'm afraid of failing at it. And, and I don't like that, you know, it just feels like more rejection. It feels like more pain, like more anguish, you know? So I'm, I'll put it on you. It's your fault. You be the one to change. (laughs) Yeah. So that I'm okay. Yeah. So that, so that it's not me that has to do the changing. Yeah. And we want the world to bend around us, you know? Um, but fear is a motherfucker, man, like that, that can keep us sick. And so it's, it's a good opportunity for me to look at, you know, like, yeah, does it make me uncomfortable? Yes. But does that mean that it's not true? Yeah. No. Right. And we found, you know, we're fortunate. We've been on this side of the table for a while, you know, um, 
practicing this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're new, when I, when I was new, it was unfathomable how many things I was responsible for. Sure. You sure. know, and that's why I'm so grateful that more will be revealed and I'm only given bite-sized chunks of this stuff, you know, that, that as I, as I learn and grow and listen to other people's stories that I can identify with and learn how to take responsibility for things a little bit at a time, um, I'm able to, to digest it in a way that works for me. And, and I've come pretty far down the road to where I really do understand that if I fail, it's kind of my fault. And if I succeed, it's kind of my fault, even though Failure is kind of a loose term, right? Like, yeah, you, well, I was going to say, you, depends, you never depends really, on what your definition of Never really is. fail. You, right. Either, you know, you either learn or whatever. It's well, really, like, thing. failure is just another way for me to decide that that behavior is going to keep me sick. Yeah. You know, if I decide that I'm a failure, well, yeah, good. If I'm, if I'm failing at something, if I'm a failure at something, then it's more of an excuse for me to hate myself. Yeah, and quit. Yeah, and quit. Yeah. And not do it again. And yeah. not try again. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I like that point, you know. like it's, I, um, it's not failing, or at least we've gotten to that point now where we hopefully don't see it as a yeah. failure. Yeah, what's that saying? You don't really ever lose, you learn. Right. Or that, something that like saying? that. I think I so. It's something like that. You know, and, and as, as, as I learned to take responsibility, it's so funny when you put it into different perspectives, because, you know, I've, I've, I've used Wayne Dyer for my spiritual growth a lot. You know, I've listened to so many of his speeches and so many of his talks and, and teachings and stuff. And he tells this story is like, you know, trying to, trying to fix the outside world is like you go into a therapist and and you listen, you know, you're talking to this therapist and you're telling him all your problems and you're like, I got this problem and I got that problem, you know, and he's like, oh man, you, you do have a lot of problems. And so I'm going to write some prescriptions and, and you're sitting there and he's writing these prescriptions out and he's like, well, you can go. He goes, well, can I have my prescriptions? He goes, oh, these aren't for you. This one's for your mother-in-law. This one's <laughs> for your job. This one's for your kids, you know? trying to prescribe you know the the medication around you yeah Yeah. trying to you know prescribe the medication to the people around you and it doesn't work that way right you know just as i'm responsible for mine i'm also you know they're responsible for theirs and i i can't take ownership on that or it'll continue to make me sick and being able to find that you know that that line which mariah does a great job of of you know separating herself her responsibility for her versus her responsibility for her families, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, we'll get into her story, but she has a long line of addiction. Like a lot of us, you know, alcoholism and addiction, and she's able to take responsibility for her recovery and her progress mm-hmm. and, and separate it from what she's not responsible for. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that I remember her saying in her story is she talked about her mother and her mother, you know, uh, so there's some alcoholism there, but also, um, that her mother had a big heart. She's like, my mom, my mom has a big heart. She would do anything for anybody to a fault to yeah. where she doesn't do anything for herself. And, and I think that that sort of speaks to the reason why she has so hell bent on, you know, taking ownership for herself. Like, Hey, 
I can take responsibility for me. I can't fix you. Uh-huh. You've got to fix you. I can fix me. And the only thing I can do is decide how to react to the way that you are. Yeah. I can offer love. I can offer support in the way that if you want help, you truly want help, I am here to help you. But I, I can't do shit for you. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think that, you know, having that kind of influence as a child from a parent or seeing that and, and she's learned a lot in retrospect as we all have, which is great. Um, be able to see that, uh, that, that, you know, if you see that growing up, it's going to have an influence on you, which is maybe a reason why in her case, it's so important for her to really just worry about herself. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's all we can control. And, uh, and really listening to her story and hearing her talk about that was just a good reminder for me because, you know, we, we all have these moments and these crazy times in our lives where it is just so easy to, to want to shift the blame Mm -hmm. and to want to, to, to see it as the world not bending around me when, when, you know, I'm the only one that can do anything about it. Um, and so it was great. It was just a, yeah. a good reminder for me. Yeah, and I think it's important too. You know, once once we do gain some perspective on this, it's it's so important that we're able to voice that perspective um, in a healthy way out around us, right? Mm-hmm. I think because, like like we say, you know, you can't do this shit alone. And and we said earlier, like it took it took other people in my life explaining this stuff to me. To where I could, you know, finally start to understand what it means to take responsibility for my healing. So as, as we learn this stuff, it's so important that we find people that are suffering as well and, and not make them responsible, but share how we've become responsible. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Share how, the, how we've learned to be responsible in a way so that they could possibly become responsible for their healing. And, and, and ultimately, that's, that's what we want, right? We want to minimize this generational trauma. We want to minimize the illusion of self-love through self-harm. Because a lot of times, you know, we'll think that, that what we're doing is a demonstration of self-love. We shared about that, like going to a birthday party and having a drink because our best friend is, wants us to have a, right. a celebration toast or... Mm-hmm you know, trying to show that love through self-harm and, and like, we want to minimize that to the point where more and more people are healing and the world becomes less sick. Right. That's, that's the ultimate goal. And so as, as I gain responsibility for my healing, I also gain responsibility for maintaining my well-being. Yeah. Right. And so once, once the healing begins, and I don't know if, if healing ever finishes you know i got scars on my body that i don't remember how i got you know so maybe i have scars on my spirit and my my psyche that i can't remember you know that i don't know how i got or i've dealt with situations that at one time bothered me to the point of not being able to sleep that i just can't remember anymore because i've dealt with them i don't know right but it's a good analogy as as I go through this stuff and, and I work on my healing as it comes, as it's needed, you know, I'm able to um, take responsibility for maintaining that through the same process that I got that, you know, mm-hmm. what worked for me to get here, mm-hmm. you know, and the thing that worked for me to get here was one, listening to people that were like me that have healed. 
mm-hmm. or that are healing that have mm-hmm. a process that I can identify with, you know, listen to their story of the past and, and recognize that I felt the same ways, right? Try the things that they say. Right, right. Yeah. No? I'm just going to say willingness. Yeah. yeah. Am, am I willing to do the things that they talk about? Going to therapy, starting medication, working the steps, getting a connection with a power greater than myself, you know, reading these books on, on, on healing, what, you know, because there's a ton of resources from out there of, of things that have worked for all kinds of different people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so am I willing to do the work for that? Right. If, if I am like, I need to share that. Like I did these things and today I woke up without a bottle of booze next to my bed. And the first thing I didn't think was how big of a piece of shit I was. Right. Like, like I woke up this morning and I was grateful and that was something that I didn't used to do, you know? So that, that's, that's all part of the healing process, but I don't get to keep it if I don't get get to give it away. If I yeah. don't give it away. Yeah. It's a paradox. Well, and sometimes that that way of giving it away is to simply be a living example of how it for works, sure. right? Like um, attraction rather than promotion. Like it is not for me to decide what you need to take responsibility for. It is for me to decide what I can take responsibility for and show you that I've done that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, when we're working with other people in, I'll speak for myself when I'm working with other people, I'm so tempted just to be like, dude, this is what you need to fucking do. <laughs> this is, you know, like I know how to cure you. You need to fucking own this right now. You need to fucking apologize to this person. You need to, you know, like, yeah. and really just, you know, lay into them <laughs> yeah. sometimes, you know, yeah. but, Really, you know, what, what, what I am to do in that situation, and I think it applies to taking responsibility and, and many more things, but really what I am to do into that situation is to say, okay, this is a situation I found myself in, and this is how I handled it. Mm-hmm. Um, take with that what you will. And hopefully the way that they see me spiritually, having gone through that process in that way, is enough for them to go, okay, well, I like where he's at and this is how he did it. And I want that for myself. Yeah. So this is what I'll do. Cause that's what's worked for us. Right? Yeah. I'll take that suggestion. Yeah. So, you know, I think when we talk about taking responsibility, it's like, yeah, we take our responsibility for our own stuff yeah. and we're not here to interject that responsibility or taking somebody else's inventory or throw it down their throat. Right. And then I think it, I think it's it's definitely need to be said that when when you have a platform like we have, right, um, where people are listening to our opinions, mm-hmm. our experience, and the things that have worked for us, um, you know, I take a great deal of responsibility in making sure that the message I share is true, and that I'm willing to do the work to continue it, right? Because when you're watched. By the people that we work with right we do have a, a level of responsibility to practice the things that we talk about mm-hmm. right and and the cool thing about like what i know about you and what i know about myself is that if i if i wasn't practicing these things this wouldn't work for me right i'd be a bumbling fucking idiot sitting <laughs> trying to babble my way and maybe that's what you guys hear anyway but you know what well, I, I am responsible for the message that I carry. I really am. And so I have to be responsible for the mistakes that I make. Right. 
and be able to clean those up as quickly as possible. I have to be responsible for the growth that I make and being willing to continue in that, regardless of how hard it is. You know, I mean, you guys have been that have been listening have have heard my journey through, you know, coming in contact with this power greater than myself. And and I'm willing to go into that and have a relationship with God on a different level than I ever had before. Um, because I'm responsible for my growth, right? And if I maintain and hold on tightly to the things that used to work for me that aren't working for me anymore, eventually everything's going to slip away. Yeah. Everything will go away because I'm no longer taking responsibility for my growth and my healing. This stuff is a lifelong process because Mm -hmm. as I grow, my focus changes as I grow the things that are important changes as I grow, my needs change, my body changes, yeah. the chemistry inside of me changes. The my, world around us changes. The, yeah, the yeah. opinions that I have change. And and I'm responsible for being fluent with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I cannot remain rigid and expect to be happy. I have to be able to flow with whatever the universe throws our way, mm-hmm. right? And and be willing to, to grow and, and just, like, I can't. I can't kill myself anymore. <laughs> right. Well, and with my rightness. Yeah. And the, the important part of that, or one thing that I'm thinking of is like, we have to remember like what, what doesn't work for us. Like, <laughs> right. We still have to maintain this list of things over here. We've done enough experimenting by now that we know what doesn't work. Yeah. And so we've got to still steer clear of that while navigating and being open to, you know, new ways of things that may work Yeah. because yeah, you're absolutely right. Like things are going to change and the world around us is going to change. And as it does, so must we be willing to look at things a little bit differently or, or, or bring something new into the fold or, um, you know, invest in, in, in something else that may be as spiritually beneficial as, you know, recovery was at first, right? Uh, because we have to, keep sort of replenishing that so that we can stay sober, dude. I mean, and that's kind of the bottom line. Like one of the, the cliches, if you will, that I really appreciate is I can't stay sober today on yesterday's sobriety. Right. Like I've got to do something today and it may be something different, right? Like it might be just having that willingness to, to look at something a little bit differently today and that open-mindedness. And I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I have that responsibility. That is my responsibility. And by me taking that responsibility, it hopefully will benefit the world around me, my family, my loved ones, my friends, you know, people in recovery, people that may be struggling, people to look to me for a message. Like it is my responsibility to work on me and then the results will spread hourly. Yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love you. I uh I, I appreciate the 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 gift of responsibility that I was given through the gift of sobriety. Like all these things are gifts and virtues, you know, and it's important it's important for us to remember that, you know, we're being watched. Um, you know, you're gonna be a dad pretty soon. Mm. Like like, well, to be fair, you already are. It's just still cooking. Yeah. You know. Hell, so, by the time this comes out. Yeah. Might be a dad. Might be a dad. Yeah. A, a trip. A, holding your baby. You know, and as I as I think about my children and my family, you know, I know that I'm responsible to learn the very best that I can as far as how they're going to benefit psychologically, physically, 
spiritually um, because I'm the example of yeah. that, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm responsible for being that example. As we, as we listen to these stories, you know, like, like Mariah's, um, you know, one of the things that she talked about was, you know, her, her dad was very abusive and mm-hmm. that, that was the ex- example, even though he was still responsible for setting that example, that was the example that he set, you know? And so we get to be responsible and we could just as easily be an abusive example and be responsible for fucking our kids up in that way versus you know however i'm fucking my kids up now i don't you know i don't i just want to mess them up different than i was but i'm responsible for that yeah you know i'm responsible for the image that they see through screens and and where they get their education and and those are all gifts of sobriety you know i wouldn't have that responsibility if if i didn't have sobriety if i didn't Mm -hmm. take responsibility for my recovery and i didn't take responsibility for uh, my healing and, and all that stuff. So they, I know that the destructive power of man is inside me. Yeah. You know, I've shared about it before. I've seen how violent I can be, you know, and that, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what I'm capable of. And so I'm responsible for keeping that at bay and working on a spiritual path so that that monster does not ever have to rear its ugly head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that it, it it sometimes can be difficult to know how to navigate that because we have people around us who may not understand or may not necessarily have that mindset who maybe are stuck in victim mode. And when you tell somebody like that, that you're not going to do something in favor of working on yourself, they don't see it as that. <laughs> it's not my responsibility. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, very well said, but, um, so again, like we, sometimes it takes work to maintain the proper attitude about the way that we, take responsibility for ourselves. Like I, I've got to put myself first. I, I have to absolutely work on myself. It's the old analogy, the oxygen mask, right? Yeah. An airplane. Like you've got to put that oxygen mask on yourself first before you can give it to your child. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I really appreciate that analogy because man, like sometimes it's easy to forget. Like you can get pressured into thinking that, something else is more important than taking care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, and the one thing that I would suggest if you haven't done this is take out a piece of paper, take a pen right now and write down what you are responsible for. Mm. Write down what you think you're responsible for mm. and write down what you know you're not responsible for and, and compare those things and see if, there's some things on the list that you put responsible for you're really not responsible for and see if there's some things on the list that you're not responsible for that you really are responsible right. for you know put those things into perspective it's so hard for us addicts and alcoholics and and i guess probably people yeah, in general people. you know to um to really be able to see what that is with it just bouncing around in our head yeah cuz we're going to justify the fuck out of it we're going to justify, you know, I really am responsible for my sister's health. I really, I, I, I am responsible for my girlfriend getting sober, you know, kind of th- those thoughts that are based in a really good place that put us at danger, you know? And so if we can analyze those responsibilities and look at them on paper in yeah. front of us and see what's true and not true and maybe go over it with somebody, you know, have somebody else look over your responsibility list if you're confused about it so that they can tell you, yeah, you're totally responsible for this or not or 
or whatever, you know, getting a second opinion on, on that stuff never hurts. Like I say all the time, you know, we can't do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's something about putting pen to paper that I think is, is super beneficial. And I appreciate that because, you know, writing stuff down really helps decipher what it is that that's happening in my head because sometimes it really can be difficult to know, like, wait a minute, is that on me or is that on them? Like, yeah. And, uh, and I think that, you know, working that out, however you need to by yourself, writing it down with a sponsor, that's absolutely good advice. Yeah, so for I, sure. I appreciate that. Um, but you know, again, this, this topic was, uh, was something that uh, came to us after listening to Mariah's war story. Yeah. Um, great war story. I really think a lot of people are going to get a lot from it. So yeah. we'll get into that war story now. Let's do it. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of hell. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what your poison. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here is this week's war story. I am Mariah, and I am in recovery from active addiction. I am so freaking grateful that you asked me to be on this podcast. It is an honor, and I'm just really excited. I get so jazzed any chance that I get to tell any part of my story and share any part of recovery with someone who may need to hear it most. So I just really appreciate it. Um, so I am going to dive in, I guess, who I am as a person. Uh, I am in North Dakota. Uh, I was told that I'm the first person from North Dakota on this podcast. So hell yeah. Uh, it might come out in my accent, just saying. Um, but so I grew up in rural North Dakota and it's a super, super small town. I, uh, my sisters and I am a middle sister. We grew up in a home uh, with an abusive dad and two alcoholic parents, but they were different styles of alcoholics. So uh, I, I through like my recovery and through the research and the learning that I've been doing and the healing work that I've been doing, I understand now that both of my parents are what we call adult children. Uh, and they also suffer from like generational trauma and like some massive trauma that's happened to them in their lifetimes. So I think that that was a big part of them. I'm, I'm in a 12 step program and that was a big part of my, my step work and my forgiveness was trying to figure out how to not put the blame on anyone and kind of take responsibility and not in a way that like I'm blaming myself, like I could have done something different, but just try to look at it with like, you can't ask someone um, for something that they just literally don't have to give you. And I can't, I can't, I can't expect, you know, knowing my parents' history and trying to pick apart the past of even just like before them was my grandparents on both sides too. Like alcohol runs in my family, abuse runs in my family, like death by alcohol is super common in my family. And there's just no way that there's just no way that I can put blame or hold these resentments on people that just haven't had the opportunity or taken the chance on themselves to heal when really they should have, but um, they didn't. So here I am. Uh, I am the first person in several generations to 
live in active addiction and go down that path and snap out of it. And I've actually just celebrated two years clean and I'm freaking stoked about that. <laughs> I, I cried for like a week straight, so I'm not going to cry right now, but like, I, I so wish that I could have went back to like, the, you know, that 30 day key tag Mariah and just tell her that she is going to get multiple years, like that black key tag that her sponsor was carrying around. Like I have it in my back pocket and it's the coolest thing. I, I, I don't want to say like, I never expected it, but, um, I just, you know, I mean, anybody that's, that's, you know, struggled with addiction or, um, even been in a 12 step program or whatever. I mean, the next goal that you set yourself, whether, you know, and it doesn't have to be recovery either, but like, if you set yourself a fitness goal or whatever, like it seems impossible when you set yourself this huge goal. And when you finally reach it, you're just like to have it like tangible in front of you. is so cool. But okay. Anyway. So yeah, I'm, I'm stoked and it's amazing. And I know that it's just the beginning by no means. Do I feel like I'm done because I got the black key take. Like I, this is just my ticket to finally give me like the path to like launch into something even cooler. So, um, yeah, I grew up in like rural North Dakota. It was, uh, super, super common to start drinking at a really early age. And given the the trauma and the bullshit that my family had to put up with through my dad's drinking and whatever, um, we grew up super fast. My sisters and I all started drinking by the time we were like 13 it was common. I was like heavily drinking by 15, um, you know, dabbling in other stuff, you know, boys were part of my addiction for sure. So it was, you know, beer and boys were like my top things, especially when the boys were sneaking me out of the house to give me alcohol. Like that was like perfect for me. It was great. Um, and so at a really early age, I discovered that like, I was a girl and they wanted that. So I had something that they wanted. And so I could literally use my body, myself, my presence, just anything in order to get alcohol and to get like weed or whatever it was that I was looking for. So it ended up um, like I thought it was a great idea, but it ended up like spiraling pretty quickly. And it came along with a whole slew of things like self-doubt, self-worth issues, um, all this stuff. So it was a really hard part of my identity when I got clean to try to decipher some of that too. And now I understand how it just bred this sense of codependency. And that's definitely what it was. It was me leaning on other people to validate me and tell me that I was good enough or um, whatever, whatever that was. So um, my dad's dad owned a bar growing up. And it was uh, like two blocks away from my high school, my middle school. Uh, so I come from such a small town. My, my graduating class was 24 people. <laughs> and after school, we would walk, mom would tell us to walk from school over to the bar. And that was before we were driving. And so we would walk over and sit in that like back booth and do homework until mom and dad were ready to go home. But sometimes it was hours later. And sometimes we just ended up staying in town. Like we would wait around until like 10 PM and mom and dad would be too drunk to drive or whatever it was. And we would just end up staying in town because I mean, like there's a pool table back there and stuff, but it was just easy to go to school the next morning, you know? So that bar still is in our family. My grandpa ended up passing away from alcoholism and my parents inherited it. And so now they run the bar 
So it's common for us to like have Christmas there and we have everything family related there. We just had my uncle's funeral there. We had my mom's benefit. She had stage three C lung cancer. We thought maybe she, we were going to lose her. And it was really, really, really shitty. Like I was, I was like not even a year clean uh, when we held a benefit for her. And I was like, not even understanding if I was going to lose my mom. And I had to walk into this family bar that I'd spent the majority of my years like drinking in. And I had to go there and sit down and be around everybody that was literally expecting me to drink in a situation where I was like, like pre grieving the loss of my mom. And I had to do that like sober because I wanted to be at my mom's benefit. Like it was, there's so many situations like that in my early sobriety. And even now, like I have two years clean, but it doesn't make it more fun for me, you know, like it's still weird. And now I'm like from the other side looking in, like this is kind of dysfunctional. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Like, it's nuts. Like, I don't know. Every everything is a reason to drink when your family, like that's how you celebrate. That's how you celebrate like that's how you spend a bored Sunday. That's how you mourn at a funeral. Like it's just what you do is drink and it's the reason for everything. So um yeah I I uh both my sisters and I we finally, you know, we grew up, we ended up kind of going separate ways and doing our own things. We're all still in North Dakota, but I ended up going to NDSU at North Dakota State University. And it's been a whirlwind trying to figure out who I am. Um, I got into a relationship right in right when, as soon as I was getting into college and uh, the hardest part of my addiction, like I mentioned earlier, was boys <laughs> paired with codependency. So when I found one that I like, I just thought he was the coolest, best thing in the whole world. And I was going to do anything and everything to please him, make sure that I was what he wanted, whatever. Like I literally was wearing the clothes that he would tell me to buy because I wanted to look good for him. And like I was, it was really different. And I mean, so he was controlling in his own ways, but I was also clueless. Like we were both pretty young and um, when he broke up with me because he found another girl on Tinder before he broke up with me, <laughs> it threw me for a huge loop. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't really know who I was because my identity at that time was him. Um, and I just, I, my whole self-worth completely didn't exist anymore. I literally didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to do with my life if it wasn't for him with him. Um, and that just kind of goes to show how deep and dark I was in like that part of my addiction too, is just like, I was doing everything to escape myself and not look inward. And so I spent the next, gosh, when was that? It was probably five years of my life. Like, I mean, and that, that wasn't like the only core reason, but that kicked off like literally a five-year bender on many different occasions. It was just all this self-worth didn't match up. I, um, I didn't know what to do. So at first it was way over drinking, drinking extremely heavily, um, sleeping with super random people, uh, eating, eating like all the food. I would like drink super heavily, get at home, whether I'd throw up or whatever, but I would just like eat pizza or like eat takeout or whatever it was. So I ended up gaining a lot of weight just from the alcohol and like the over consuming the food and everything. I just didn't care about anything. And then I started to care how big I was getting and it started to get really uncomfortable. And I started to, it, it affected my mental health a lot. Um, I had never been that big. And I mean, I was, I was teetering like 200 pounds and like I'm five, three, like that was, that was way like heavier than, than I thought I would ever get to. And 
it really, really fucked with me. And so um, like A led to B and I ended up getting into a college class with this guy who, again, here's my thing with boys. I was like, he's so cool. Oh my gosh. So he was like, Hey, like come to this concert with me. Let's go to a party, whatever. And he showed me how to do my first line of cocaine. And I was like, this guy's cool. He wants to do this with me. He wants to show me how to do it. This is awesome. Then I did it. And I was like, this feels great. Like I can stay up all night. Like I'm actually super social. Like I can be really like fun. I'm not like this, like sad person in the corner. You know, I don't think I ever really was that I was, I feel like alcohol has always gotten me out of myself for the point I've been like the life of the party. But for real, I thought that I was like on top of the mountain when I started turning to harder drugs. And it led me down a trail of like so much cocaine, but like also like every other type of pill, like it was, it was all the uppers for me. And I mean, I was at a house party one time and this guy handed me a pill and I was super drunk at that point, but I was like, what is it? You know? And he's like, does it matter? (laughs) And I was like, no, it doesn't matter. And I just ended up taking it anyway. Like I just, and it was again, like going back to like the more and more that I'm getting into my recovery, I'm realizing how like fucked my past was like with men, like no pun intended. Um, and like they, it was like, I couldn't go home alone. And I also know that that was tied to like, I struggled really hard with suicidal ideations for years. Like, and it wasn't necessarily that I had a plan, but it was just years and years and years of that. Like if I happen to get hit by a bus tomorrow, like if I happen to just miraculously not wake up, you know, like it would save me a lot of trouble, you know, and it just, it made more sense to me to just not be here. And I couldn't envision a, I couldn't envision a future where I wasn't using drugs or drinking. And I couldn't envision what my future would look like at all, like with who doing what for a job, And I just thought maybe that was a sign that I didn't have a future. So I just was like, maybe, maybe I'm like closer to death than I realize. And like, I'm okay with that. Like, I just, I didn't know what it meant for me. Um, But yeah, I think like me diving super deep into like the harder drugs and everything, it it obviously didn't help my mental health. Um, And I didn't want to go home alone or anything. So I ended up, you know, letting the random guys like choose me or I would like seek someone out at a house party or at a bar or whatever. And like, there were countless times I'd wake up next to someone and I'm like annoyed. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. I don't know their name. And it's like embarrassed and like full of shame and confusion, you know? And then, and then it was like, you know, in my tight knit group of friends, it was people would start talking of like, you know, who haven't I taken home and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't understand what's wrong with me either. Like, it's not like I'm proud, but I don't know how to stop it. You know, it's just, I didn't know how to be by myself. And so, yeah, that was like a huge part of my mental health too. It was like so many different corners and and different angles of shame, whether it's like I'm using hard drugs. I told myself I was never going to do that drug, but oh, here I am doing that drug. And like, I never, I told myself I wasn't going to do this anymore, but here I am doing that and more and like just all these things. Um, And it just piled on to the point where in 2019, It was May, 2019, and my older sister, I had been pretty MIA from them uh, for a while. I like had pulled back a lot. And my my sisters and I have always been really close, but my older sister, I think my whole family knew that something was really off with me because I would start to cancel like family functions and I just wouldn't really show up. And when I would show up, I was so high. I didn't really like speak or look at people (laughs) in the eyes 
at the table or whatever, you know, and my older sister called me and I had like two days prior, I'd gotten fired from my one left bartending job and I quit, I quit one. So then I could have more free time to party. And then the other one, I was high and drunk on the job. And I think I like disrespected some old lady ordering a martini or something. I don't really know what I did. I don't remember, but I was like, I I didn't stay. Um, And then they fired me the next day. And it makes sense, you know, but like, I don't know. So she called me and she just said, um, I don't know what's going on with you. But um, side note, I have a grandma, my dad's mom lives with bipolar disorder. And all of our life, she's been kind of off and on her meds. And the way that I was presenting myself, I think my older sister was super worried that I had like an undiagnosed mental health disorder that maybe I really needed to be seen for. And it was on that phone call that I told her that I had been using cocaine like super heavily for like two years straight. And I didn't know how to tell her that, you know, and she asked me if she would come and pick me up and bring me to like an eval if I would just go with her. And so we went to like one of the only like, I think, I don't know, we have a mental health hospital in, in Fargo. And she brought me there and I, I don't remember it, but I guess I was super like a dick to this guy, like trying to do my eval. He was like, just trying to ask me these like basic questionnaire questions. And I was like, wouldn't you be suicidal? You should be suicidal. Like I was like yelling at him and telling him all kinds of stuff. I don't know, but they ended up, they wanted me to go into inpatient, but of course, you know, we're addicts. We want to control everything. So I said, fuck that. I'm not doing inpatient. I will do outpatient only. Um, and I will start Monday, not today. It's because I wanted to have another weekend. You know, I wanted to, you know, have a going away party or whatever the hell was in my mind. Like, what the hell? So I ended up, I mean, I felt like absolute ass that following Monday. So I don't even really remember what all happened. There was just I don't know, just a whole lot of everything all crammed into one weekend. And I had a really good friend of mine bring me to outpatient treatment that Monday. And I had got about four days in and I told everybody that I was going to quit and that I needed to make money. So I was going to go back to serving and bartending and that I didn't need treatment. And (laughs) my mom of all people, which like I mentioned, like she's an alcoholic and we had been kind of distant. Um, and she's always been super supportive. Like, my, don't get me wrong. My mom, my mom cares so much about us. Like she would go out of her way to save anything that needed help. But that's my mom's downfall is like, she'll go out of her way to help everybody besides herself, you know? And so I called her and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. These people are stupid. I'm not like these people, everybody here has like, like, you know, they're using needles and like, I never used a needle. So I'm not that bad. And like, all this stuff. Like I had all these excuses and my mom was like, you don't need to make money. You don't need to focus on how you're going to pay your bills. You figure out your headspace and figure out what's going on with you. And you're going to stick out this program. And I cried so hard in that lobby at that locker with my phone, because in that moment I realized like my mom was vouching for me to heal. And I didn't expect it really. I had myself convinced with my like suicidal thoughts. Like I truly thought that I, that like, if I wouldn't wake up the next morning, like my family would be relieved because I thought that I was bringing such trouble to them. Like, and to hear my mom, like validate on the phone for me that like I should stay and try to learn a little bit and maybe try to heal. It just was, I don't know, completely 
it's solidified like that I should stay. And um, I have like a, so my sisters call me college. Like they both went to cosmetology school and are like in the salon um, industry. And I went to North Dakota state. So like when that guy broke up with me, like I mentioned, like, yeah, I downward spiraled with my addiction, but I also like, when I go hard, I go hard. So I committed and I, I committed to my graduate degree. So I went and got my master's and like it, I don't know how I did both. I, I really don't understand, but I don't know. It's like part of my spirituality now. And I realize that like in getting my master's degree in sociology and human behavior, I had no idea what I was doing and why I was using that and, and what, what I would use it for. And part of my shame, I was like, I just wasted all this money on this graduate degree and I'm not even using it. I'm bartending. What am I doing with my life? And, um, I realize now, especially two years into my recovery, like it's literally all of these things that I've, that I've done along the way somehow, like, I don't know, like I'm a go-getter, I guess. Like when I wanted cocaine, I fucking went for it till I got it. Like, I know that I have that in me. Like I'm dedicated like to the max. And so when I have my sights on something, like I, I go for it and that's, it's been awesome, you know, like, because I have that in me and I knew that if I treated treatment, like literally like academics. And I was like, I'm taking a class. And I didn't know what to tell my friends when I went to treatment. I wasn't ready to like admit that I was trying to get sober, that I was literally in the mental health hospital, like for treatment. So I would say, oh, I'm taking classes for like wellness. <laughs> and I just reframed it that way. And it worked, you know, and, and I, I took it like that. Like I literally took like pen and paper every single day to my outpatient class classes. See, I just did it. Um, and I would take notes. Like I was learning, you know, a new way to live. And I still have those notes. And I'm so grateful that I wrote. I mean, it was my first attempt at journaling for a while. I mean, for years before I went to treatment, I would reject meditation or journaling or anything that would like allow me to look inward. You know what I mean? Um, and so that was my first sense of like being forced, you know, with a counselor in front of me to like put pen to paper, you know, like write your usage history on the fucking whiteboard. Look at how much you, you have excelled, like, um, what's the word? Like you've accelerated your addiction through from when you're 13 till now I was 26 when I went to treatment. And she's like, look at how much more you've used and look at how much like the like quantity of, of like how much, and also how many things you're using now to like escape yourself. And, um, it's like all of that knowledge and all of that, like every, every single thing that I've picked up along the way has led me to now I have two years clean, like, and all of that knowledge. Now I have this graduate degree that's just been sitting in the back seat, like not really sure what I'm going to do with that. Like, I know, I know exactly that it's like led me to the place where now I can get a few other simple certifications and, you know, and I've started up this coaching business, you know, and I'm working as like a recovery mindset coach to work with people like me. And that's the coolest thing that I've learned in connecting through the Instagram community, um, Facebook, so other social media, even in my 12 step programs is literally connection is the opposite of addiction. Like I was not connecting with myself. I didn't know how to connect with other people without being drunk or high. It would make me more fun or whatever it was. Um, or I was like lying to like try to connect in like a false way because I thought that I wasn't good enough, you know, um, and then connecting with a higher power like I my spiritual like I truly believe like everything that's happened for me in the past 
the experiences, even like the bullshit experiences, like that one time in 2015, when I got arrested for putting my car through a garage and then I punched a cop in the face, like, like that one time, um, like, I know that it's led me to where I am today. And it's given me all this experience to understand what I don't want to be like anymore and to relate to people who have been in those same shoes. So then I can be a bomb ass coach and I can put out a program like this because I've taught at North Dakota State while I was getting my graduate degree. Like I know what I'm, I know that I can go forward and somehow something along the way has taught me that if I'm vulnerable enough and just say this, the crazy, scary thing and just do the scary thing, like every time that I, that I'm out of myself and I, I reach out and I say the thing or, um, you know, I admit my first biggest thing was like admitting that I was trying to get sober and coming out to my friends and family and, and cutting off the people that I was still like heartbroken about a little, like I care about them a lot, but I had to do those things. And like every single time that I've been vulnerable and opened up about the truth of my past and, you know, whether it's like with men or with the type of drug I was using or whatever it was like every single time I, I am greeted with this like massive amount of connection and people reach out to me and are like, I'm so glad that you shared that part of your story. And I'm like, sweet, because I'm like, I am kicking myself because I feel like I went overboard and shouldn't have shared that part of me because it's a little too raw. And they're like, well, thanks, because it's part of my story too. And I've never been able to tell it. And I'm like, sweet, like, this is what this is what recovery is, you know, is like doing it together. Like we can't do it by ourselves. We're not, none of us are a one man band. Like it's not a thing. And that's a huge reason why I built my coaching program called PRISM. And I mean, PRISM, it's, it stands for a practice of recovery and building an intuitive spiritual mindset. Um, and basically I took what I loved about the 12 steps. Um, I took what I loved about all of these other like personal development, like mindset books, even like business growth books, like any of these inspirational speakers, TED talks, whatever. Um, and my own personal experience, my own teaching experience and, you know, my, my degree that I have in human behavior and smushed it all together into this program where I can hopefully ha help others, you know, do that thing where you like, turn around and actually look at yourself and, and stop running away from yourself. Stay long enough to just ask yourself what you need. Um, and my, my program helps people walk through what recovery looks like for them. And, you know, it's a four month long program, but at least at the end, um, I can take off the training meals and have faith that, you know, if they've done the work and that they've, they've been able to connect, not just with me, but like other people in the program, that they have a good chance of of having that more internal introspective way of healing. And I think that that's all that we need. We just, we just need to be listened to. We need to realize and remember that like our story is super important and that we're not here for nothing. And that when we connect with ourselves and other people and it's, it's what recovery is and it's really what we're here for on this earth. Like it's nuts. I'm the only sober person in my family uh, to day, to this day, but both my sisters don't really struggle with overusing um, alcohol or, or whatever. So I don't know. It kind of leaves that little tic-tac in my mind. Like maybe I'm not an addict. Maybe I just needed to straighten some things out, you know, uh, because like my sisters don't have an issue. So maybe I don't either. Right. But like, I'm not about to go test that theory. And there's been so many blessings, like even just you reaching out 
to see if you can interview me for this podcast. Like there's so many amazing things that have come my way in recovery that there's no chance in hell that I'm willing to give any of those up just to see if maybe I could have a Bud Light. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me on. And so if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram. That's where I reach like my sober community and connect with everybody on there. My Instagram handle is my first name, Mariah, M-A-R-I-H. And my middle name is J-E-A-U. So it's Mariah Joe at that's my Instagram account. And then if through the link in my bio, you can find any information about applying for PRISM or just reading. Right? Yeah. Why the fuck would I risk it all, everything I have now, just to see if a Bud Light tastes Especially good? Especially over a Bud Light. I know. <laughs> no, that's, what, that's what I started on. When she, said, when she said over a Bud Light, I thought, I remember drinking Bud Light. And, yeah. and I'll be honest, like my mouth watered a little bit. Back when I was an amateur. <laughs> yeah. She yeah, got, she I got mean, pretty hard though. No, it's a great it's point. It's where though. it always starts. Oh yeah. Well, just like, you know, I started with Marlboro Reds. Yeah. <laughs> Ended yeah. up on fentanyl or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it always starts with that innocent one. Yeah. But you know, I it, she she makes a great point. I, thank you for that story. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've often thought that like what I mean, I know it's a lot more innocent when we talk about relapse and this is not a relapse episode, but I've always thought that, you know, like why in the fuck would I give up everything just to, just to, just at the off chance, cause I feel like I need a beer with my steak, you know, yeah. just because I've known, I've had friends that have gone out for, for, you know, such a lighthearted thought or cause, you know, and, uh, remember we deal with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Yeah. yeah, no, I uh that was great. Um Willie, what did you what did you think of my I, lo- I loved it, man. I enjoyed listening to it the first time. I lo- enjoyed listening to it this time. I enjoy watching her journey on Instagram. She has a lot of great little snips and like I don't I don't know if they're on TikTok or like those little uh, Reels, the reels, reels or whatever. She did one the other day. Um and it was it was her talking uh about her character defects trying to get her to do something and she's all no yes no no yes no no and i said said, that's me with donuts yeah and she goes that's me with oreos yeah so i mean it's it's there right and and just knowing where she came from and where she's at now um when we did the recording of her story she had just gotten back from from a trip like a a woman's retreat where she got to meet some mentors and and do some spiritual work and mindset stuff and you know she's just she's totally gained responsibility for her life and um she just also has uh did another podcast the um oh it's slip of my mind the adult children's podcast mm. which is adult children and alcoholics yeah she talked about and, that a little bit with um, their parents and um i know that's why i can't believe that i was like so short on my mind but she did that with both of her sisters oh wow and talked about um you know their journey growing up and she was a little bit nervous at it you know about her mom listening to it but she's taking responsibility for that like her healing yeah and maybe it's something that her mom needs to hear maybe it's something that you know kind of separates them a little bit but at any rate she is definitely taking responsibility for it and over the last two years, you know, that's, that's what, that's how I actually, I seen a post of her celebrating two years, Mm. 
And so I reached out to her for, from that to find out how she got two years and it, and it's blown up to like, she's done a lot yeah. in two years yeah, to get that two years. She's done a lot throughout her whole life and just that journey is kind of, kind of crazy, you mm-hmm. know, ups and downs and ups and downs and ups yeah. and downs and, you know, boys and yeah, I was going to say, beer. I actually really appreciate that, that part of her story is she talked a lot about codependency mm-hmm. And a lot about that validation that she would only get from boys. And, and, you know, I appreciated when she talked about that devastating relationship and just how that drove her into what she knew. Mm-hmm. Like when that relationship ended, it, it, it drove her right into it. And then she found another boy. Yeah. And this boy had cocaine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so it's amazing. And it just speaks to the reality of, you know, that compounding progression that comes from the disease where one thing will lead to another and we're crossing those lines that we said we would never do. And, and, uh, you know, I need the boy for validation and the boy likes cocaine. So I'll try that cocaine so that he'll still like me. And, and then before you know it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all messed up Mm -hmm. again. Lost still. Yeah. Even worse than before I tried it. Right. You know, we end up in a, we end up at a bar where, or or a party where people are like, here, you, you want a pill? And you're like, what is it? Does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, and then ending up in that place where it doesn't matter whether we wake up or not. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether we fall asleep or wake up or eat or show up or find, you know, any of that stuff. Nothing else matters. That's right. And uh, I'm really grateful, you know. I think she's just beautiful and, and I think she's probably a great coach and great leader. Um, you know, she's taking responsibility for her growth and sharing that growth and continuing that growth and, and staying with it regardless of how hard it is. She took responsibility for her health. And, mm-hmm. and like I said before, took like her, charge, yeah. her, her transformation is incredible. I love those transformations, you know, because I do think that, that, you know, we, we have this mental illness called addiction, mm-hmm. alcoholism, that, yep brain designed to keep me alive with a mind that wants to kill me and we're always at at odds with ourselves you know everything runs through that drink filter can i drink over this can i drink over that can i drink over this is it this one is this the one that's going to work can i get him to drink over that you know can i separate him from this or that and and you know she did a great job of just connecting with herself and and healing yeah she's done a lot of work you can you can hear that when she tells her story Mm -hmm. just uh just how much retrospect thinking and introspection that she's done and and you know i really appreciated when i when i listened to her she she touched on her parents and her parents relationship you know and 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 that relationship with them and and uh and then she was like my mom of all people when she was in the treatment center my mom of all people was the one and, uh, and that's just, um, you know, nobody's completely lost and we never know who's going to say the one thing to us that's going to get us to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I need to fucking just be here. Yeah. I need to do this. And, uh, and that's why we're so fortunate to have the life that we have today. Yeah. We're the lucky ones. We are the lucky ones. Join her on this, the trudge, the road of happy destiny. I love that line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good deal. Yeah, yeah Mariah. Thank you. Thank you so keep, much. Keep it up. We're, we'll be watching. Yeah. Can't wait to see how it goes. Yeah. With that, hey, man. 
good show. Yeah, it was. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. <laughs> in the face and <laughs> all the places. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good show. I really like talking about taking responsibility. I'm going to take responsibility for ending this show. Uh, Jordan, thank you, my man. Good to see you. Happy marriage. Jordan just got married. So did Willie. Willie yeah. just got married. Yeah. Everybody getting married. Everybody up having some stuff. Yeah. So Cameron may or may not have had a baby. <laughs> I might have a baby right now. But uh, let's all just, um, you know, be thankful for the sobriety that we have and the life that we've been given because of it. So, yeah. For sure. Um, Ryland, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Ryland. Um, Ryland has nothing going on in his life. So we'll just point that out real quick. It's a sad deal, and this is the biggest thing you got going on in your life. We love you, man. Thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, good deal, guys. With that, remember, you are worth the work. See you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.